This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. I, uh, the, I like it because they've herded the cats in a little bit, and that's been nice. It's good to see you guys. Wow, we, as I look at them, I'm going, people are here. They're home from vacation, and I love it. Uh, but people are gone on vacation, too. And maybe you're... He- he- who still is heading out on vacation? I'm raising my hand because I'm heading out on vacation soon, too. Uh, good good for you. Have a great time. Uh, Pastor Trenton and Pastor Allie are on vacation today. They started yesterday, and they're ha- they have a whole bunch of stuff that's, that's going on in their life. So I'm sure you'll be able to follow Allie on social media because she is like the social media posting guru, and you can live vicariously through them. That's what I do, you know, like, um, anyway, they're going to have a good time. So God, we just ask, would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them rest? God, we thank you for their faithfulness and service. And God, would you just replenish them in Jesus name? Amen. I'm thankful today as I think about it. Uh, Julie is back, as you saw her up here leading worship. Marty's back in the media booth. We welcome them home. Staff people, we, uh, loonies are home after their world travels and all that sort of stuff. People are coming and going. I love it. It's good to see you today. I want to just announce soap. We had some questions. Soap last week, last Thursday, was our final soap uh, for this session. And I just want to thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. We had a great, great time. And it was a, 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 a learning time, a, a growing time together. Uh, there's so much on the church app. I don't want to take time to step into all of those, but if you have the church app, would you go there and look at all the events? Uh, There's something for women this Friday night, and you need to make sure you register. It's going to be a good time for them. Saturday is a youth beach trip, so young people, if you haven't signed up yet or if you want more information, see Pastor Jesse or Kendra, and they can do so. Empty Nesters is next Sunday, so it's like something for everybody is like right around the corner here. So would you make sure that you go on and take care of all those things? All of them are registrations so that we can uh, target who's going to be here or how many are going to be here, and we would love you to participate in what you can participate in. Say Bible 101. Bible 101. We are today in our final sermon for this series, and uh, it, it, it's been a fantastic series. I've loved preaching, loved being able to do what we're doing. I'm kind of sad that it's done. Next week, we're going to be stepping into a brand new series called This Is Us, and uh, be, be looking forward to that. It's going to be a good series as well, but thank you to Pastor Larry, who preached last week on, uh, on one of the segments of this on faith. How many know that faith is important, right, and that the Word of God brings faith in our lives, and I hope that you were here, and if you heard it, uh, uh, good for you. If you did not, go on to our YouTube, and you'll be able to listen to it there. All of these are connecting. All of us are leading us on a journey. And today, as I come, I I pray that all of them have been practical. I hope that they've all been practical, that you've been able to take knowledge from them. And today, I'm hoping that today is even more practical, because the importance of of knowing about the Bible and understanding how to get in the Bible is, is also important. But if we don't apply what we know and what we understand, then we're missing a whole major segment. And so today, I want to talk about about this part of application. So week number seven, because the Bible is true, everyone say it, because the Bible is true. Because the Bible is true, it says you need to make it a part of your life. And I ask you today, is it a part of your life? Is it a p- more of a part of your life than just on Sundays? Is it more of a part of your life than, and I'm not knocking it, but I, you know, is it than the little bread box that you pull out the verse of Scripture and you read it for the day and put it in the back behind? Is the Word of God part of your life? Is it a significant part of your life, not just something that you look to or possibly read, but is it part of your life? There's a difference between just reading God's Word, and there's a difference between knowing God's Word or knowing about God's Word, 
but do you know it enough that it's part of you? Is it part of you? Is it, does it shape your life? And we've been on this journey of what that looks like. The goal of this series was not to tell you more from the Bible, but to teach and inspire you to learn from the Bible yourself. And uh, that, that's what our desire is. That's what our goal has been. I know that probably next year we're going to come back with another Bible 102 or 201 or whatever it is, because we feel so impassionate by this. This has been such a, a fun series. But our desire is that RLC would not be a people that just hear about the Bible on Sundays, but that they would be a people that personally use and know the Bible Monday through Saturday. And if you catch the wording in this, it's not just excluding Sundays, it says Sundays and Monday, Tuesday through Saturday. So there is a seven days a week that it is impacting your life and changing you. This, this uh, uh, mantra or this phrase, this saying that we have, if you would say it with me, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, everyone grab your Bible. Would you do so, whether it's on your phone? I love this. I love this declaration. Say, this is my Bible. It's God's word to me. I am what it says that I am. I have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. And today, come on, declare it. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I will boldly confess that my mind is alert, that my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. I love this statement. I love the words. I think it has so much power and so much value to it. But you really grasp it to go, no, this is God's word to me. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is God's word to me. Come on, say, come on, this is God's word to me. It's like, it's, give an attitude with it. This is God's word to me. And what I love about it is that all of us can have an attitude about it. To go, no, this is God's word to me. God spoke this word. God wrote this, this love letter, these love letters to me, to my life. But the only way that this can shape you is that you're in it. The only way that it can shape you is, yes, you can hear about it. And it might change an opinion or it might change a perspective. But if you're not in it regularly, it's not going to change your life. You know, when I think about the most important lesson that I could teach you, you know, as you think about what's the most important lesson you've ever learned in your life, if you can think of a most important lesson, what would those lessons be? Go back in your childhood, go back to your life and go, what is the most important lesson about life that you have learned? I could go back and I could talk about, I learned a work ethic from my dad. I learned grace and mercy from my mom. I learned this idea of, of how to love unconditionally from my wife. These life lessons that have shaped my life. Today, when I think as a pastor, as my responsibility, I love all those things, but I think probably the most important aspect of my life in my ministry is that I would, treat, that I would teach you not just about the Word of God, but I could teach you how to get into the Word of God. Yeah, that it would be more important than going, well, oh, here's a fish, let me teach you how to fish. Well, here's a scripture. No, let me teach you how to get the scripture and how to apply it to your life. So when I think about the most and less important lesson I could do is to come and go, how do, I, how, how do I do this? And I realize this very fact because I believe that there is no way in our culture today, I, I know I can be adamant in my, my statements, but I believe there's no way in our culture today that you can live a strong, faith-filled life for God without being in this book. There is no way that you're going to overcome sin. There's no way that you're going to walk in love. There's no way that you're going to walk in victory. There's no way you're going to walk in forgiveness. There's no way you're going to be able to do all those things unless you're in this book, and this book is shaping your life. And so it comes back to this whole thing. The most important lesson I can give you, if I want you to live for God, then i got to give you the book. 
If I want to live for God, I got to be in the book. If I want to please God, I got to be in the book because the book is what tells me how to live. It's that instruction manual that all of us have. But even though I realize all this, how many can go through heights and valleys, mountains and valleys of your time in the Word of God? There's times you can go, no, I'm all in. And then there's two days happening. You're like, oh, no, no, I, I got enough. I, got an, I already know that. When you're approaching the Word of God, do you go, well, uh, do you skip over certain parts because you go, well, I've read that before. Anybody guilty of that? that you go, I've read that before. I know that story. And I come back to this whole concept. What it is, is it's a deception of our humanity. It's a deception to think, well, I already know that. I already understand that. I already grasp that. And today what I want you to understand is that this book, even though you may have read it, even though you might understand it, there are things in this book in every page in every scripture that you have not mined yet. There are things that you, have may, you may know about, but is it alive in your life? Is it part of you? And that's what we want to talk about today is how do we do this and some practical things and walking it out. Uh, attitudes that we can see in Bible characters about the Word of God. Job 23 says this, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Everyone say treasured. treasured. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Everyone say live. Amen. Psalms 1, 1 through 2 says, blessed is the one who delights, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. Everyone say delights. delights. Psalms 119, understanding your word brings light to the minds. Everyone say light to the minds. What I want you to realize here is that you may be able to come back and have an adjective or a phrase that you would associate with the word of God. I love to be able to see what other people associate with the word of God. I love to be able to see that Job goes, no, I, I treasure this book. I treasure this truth, this law that's here. You know, the, uh, the, the whole understanding of the psalmist when going, understanding the word lightens up my mind, brings clarity, brings life. I don't know about you, but how many have encountered some of these adjectives in your life when you read the word of God? You see that come alive in you. You see that begin to go, no, I, I like this. This makes me feel a certain way. Psalms 119 is, is all about the power of the Word of God to guidance of our lives. Psalms 119 verses 105 says this, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. A lamp for my feet and a light upon my path. And as we step into this, what I want you to understand and grasp is this concept that God's Word is there for daily, moment-by-moment -moment direction in your life. In our humanity, in my humanity, maybe I'm different than you, but in my humanity, I want God's light to be a spotlight that gives me five miles down the road that I know everything that's going to happen. Anybody else like to know what the long-term goal is? Can I tell you that the long-term goal is heaven? The long-term goal is eternity, but the, it, but the journey from here to eternity is not visible to us. God's not concerned about the long-term destination. He is, but he's not concerned. He's concerned about your daily steps that you're taking. He's concerned about those moment-by-moment -moment paces of life. My phone's going off up here. Sorry about that. 
He's, he's concerned about those aspects. I think of my mom. My mom has this uh, massive mag light. It's about this big and, Scott, and, and, and this big around. And I mean, you go outside and you like hit the button and you, it illuminates, pitch black, it illuminates the entire yard. That's the kind of light that I want when it's the word of God. Amen? Amen. But can I tell you, when Paul, what David's writing here, when he's talking about this light, uh, back in the day, they didn't have flashlights. They had a candle. Everyone say candle. Do you know how much light a candle gives off? We're talking not a birthday candle, not a little tiny thing, but probably a substantial candle. But we're talking a candle, not something that projects forth, but a candle that actually just kind of illuminates an area. We step back and we think about this concept, and that's what David is writing about. The psalmist is communicating that the Word of God is something that's just able to illuminate right where you're at and the next step. Many times you and I look for direction, and yes, God's Word brings direction, but we're wanting this whole path illuminated before us. And the importance of it, the writer of Psalms is why he's writing this, is he's saying, you have to be in it daily to know where you're going. You have to be in it daily to know where to step. You have to be in it moment by moment that every ounce of your life is focused on it so that you don't misstep, so that you don't twist your ankle or you don't stub your toe or you don't fall off of a cliff. There was an important aspect of this in our lives. Everyone turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, towards the end of the New Testament, is right after Hebrews James chapter 1, Pastor James, uh, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he writes this in James chapter 1, verse 22, verses 22 through 25. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Everyone say, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But whoever, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgiving what, not forgetting, excuse me, what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Heavenly Father, today I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that you have us walking on a journey that only you can guide us in. And God, I pray that you'd bring truth today, that you would illuminate our eyes that we can see and that we can understand, and that our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, be a doer. Be a doer. James, as he's coming and he's writing to this church as a pastor, his heart is going, I want them to do the Word of God. I don't want them just to know about the Word of God. I don't want them just to come and hear my preaching on Sunday. I don't want them just to hear about what I, what my little illustration. I want them to know it and do it. I want them to be in it, and I want them to, to grasp it. And that's what the heart of a pastor would say. Be a doer of the Word. And I know this, that you cannot be a doer of the Word if you don't know the Word. You cannot be a doer of the word. You might have the greatest intention to go, today I'm going to wake up, or tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to follow the word of God. Can I tell you, you're only going to follow what you know. You're only going to be able to apply what you know. You're only what you are able to understand. And so this important aspect of stepping into it with a knowledge of understanding. When we think about this idea of applying and doing, 
I love an illustration about Warren Wiersbe, who is has, has deceased, who's in heaven at this moment, but he was a, a writer, a teacher, a pastor. He uh, taught in, in seminaries. His statement was this. When teaching on understanding the Bible, he said uh, he, he would use metaphors uh, of a picture, a window, and a mirror. We begin with a text that paints a picture from a time long ago. We can admire that picture, but at that, but, but at a distance, we, we could, but that but at that distance, we do not necessarily have to interact with the picture. That is until we recognize that it is a window to the world right, side, right outside our doors. Through prayer, study, and meditation, we can then discover the truth that we are viewing is still, still alive and at work right around us. We find ourselves as we stare out that window uh, as, and through gazing that actually that window transforms itself into a mirror that we look inward. When we think about Scripture today, this is what I want to settle on. I'm going to give you three questions, but I want you to understand these three terms. Scripture, number one, is a picture. Scripture is a picture, and we're going to pull this apart. It tells a story. It tells us a story of a generation before. It tells us of a, a story of an author. It tells us a story of a person's encounter with God. It's a picture that we get a look at, that we can study, that we can, that we can, we can see. Scripture is also a window. That a, it's a window that we get to look out and we get to see not only our perspective, but we get to see what's outside of our perspective. And then Scripture is also this thing called a mirror. When we want to apply God's Word, we've got to see God's Word as a picture and as a window and as a mirror. We have to be able to look at it that way. We have to step back objectively to go, how do I do this? You're saying, well, Pastor Kevin, I just want to know how to apply it to my life. Anybody out there? I just, I just want to know how to apply it to my life. I want to know how do I get what I'm reading into this. And I'm going to give you some steps this morning that are very, very important. As you, we go back to the first sermon, go to that next slide with that big picture. We saw Trenton as he, he gave us this, this the interpretive journey. And it's so important that you understand these five steps. It's, we, we like to read a passage of Scripture in our culture. We like to read a passage of Scripture and immediately jump to number five. That's our, that's, our, that's our MO. We read a verse of Scripture and immediately go, okay, oh, well, this is, must, must be what it means. But we have to realize that for us to grasp what it means, we've got to go through a process. That's why Paul is able to come back to Timothy to say, study. Everyone say, study. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who rightly handles the word of truth. So often we like to go, oh, it's just simple. It just means this. Well, it might be straightforward and mean that, but do you know that it means that? And for us to grasp it, we've got to walk this journey. We've got to grasp the text in their town. We've got to measure the difference between the two times and where we're at. We've got to find the principle in this passage of Scripture. We've got to look at the biblical map. We've got to look at the entirety and go, where is this principle located? Is it a consistent principle? Because I can tell you this, the princi God's principles are going to be repetitive throughout the Word of God. There's not going to be a one-off principle. For you to take a passage of Scripture and go, oh, this is the principle, it has to be verified someplace else in the Scripture. And I think that's where we can get miscon misconstrued. And then we can step into chapter or into verse five, or the fifth step there. And so today I want to focus on step number five, but I'm going to go backwards to do so. Three questions. Number one, seeing Scripture as a picture. What did this Scripture mean when it was written? You're going, well, I just want to apply it. Can I tell you today, you can't apply what you don't know. 
depending on a picture, let's think about a family picture, let's think about someone's vacation picture, depending on that picture, that, uh, it will it'll impact your life in a different way. If you're not in the picture, how many know that if you're not in the picture, you're like, oh, no, that's a nice picture. You're in the picture like going, oh, my word, I didn't smile. My hair stick, I don't have any hairs. Uh, <laughs> your lapel, you know, whatever. I mean, you, what, what, when you see a picture and you're in it, what happens? You hone in on you. Can I tell you that that's what happens in the Word of God? We read the Word of God and we hone in on us. And the Word of God is not about us. We're going to get to it. We've got to get to the place of what is this? What did the Scripture mean when it was written? A picture stirs emotions. A picture triggers memories. But if we don't know the people in the picture, it's not going to mean a lot to us. If we don't understand what's taking place, we don't, it doesn't matter. We can go, oh, that's a nice scenery picture. Wow, that's gorgeous. But then you start hearing the story behind the picture, right? You start hearing the family history behind the picture. You start hearing who those people are and what God was in their life or what their life looked like. What happens? You begin to engage in the picture. Can I tell you what we have to realize is today this book, this, this book is a picture, but it's not a picture of you. And in our culture today, we like selfies, we like to be self-absorbed. So this Bible is a picture, but it's not a picture of you. And where we step into it to try to engage is we want it to be about us. And we quickly want to make it about us. But what did the scripture mean when it was written? We've heard this statement, a picture is worth a thousand words. And I added to this, and words are thousands of pictures. When we step back and we begin to read the Word of God, we've got to look at it as words and what is the picture that it's creating. We've got to change our perspective. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about His relationship with people. A word, I, I, this definition, one of the definitions, a word is a sound that represents a picture or a symbol. Think about it. A word is a sound that represents a picture or a symbol. I say a ball, and everyone's going to have a different picture of a ball in their minds. I say a cup of coffee, and you're going to have a different location of what that coffee looks like, right? We all come with a context, and words have power, and they create a symbol. They create a picture in our brain. Scripture is a picture. The Bible, think about it, is composed of 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. But think about this, 3,566,480 words. Words that you and I will read, words that you and I will put in our context, words that you and I will step back and go, oh, that's about me. Words that should create a picture in our mind and a symbol and not us first. We've got to come back and go, what did it mean? The Bible, these words contain God's messages to us. But the reality is this, if we properly can't interpret those words, we're never going to grasp what those words are. If we don't properly step into it and embrace it, we're not going to be able to do what it says. You say, Pastor Kevin, this sounds like a lot of work. Well, today I want to tell you, we're really, really blessed because there's a system called hermeneutics that you get to step into, but there's a system called hermeneutics that theologians around the world have done a boatload of work for you and me. 
It's where we have our interpretations, where we have our Bibles today. We have this process that theologians and committees have come together. And uh, again, we've talked about different translations, but they've done a lot of work for us. But can I tell you today that that's not an escape route for you? Because in, hermene- hermeneutics still needs to be part of your life and my life. The definition of hermeneutics, a big long word here, is the art and the science of interpreting Scripture. Everyone say the art. The art. When you go look at art, can I tell you that art is subjective, right? Art is something to go either you like it or you don't like it. Either you've, you like the style or you don't like the style. Art is subjective. When you think about science, science is, science is objective. There is a true process that goes from A to Z. There's this thing that's there. It's an objective thing that takes place. And what hermeneutics comes back to is that what it realizes is that just as a writer wrote with an artistic bent, there was a prophetic word that came to them. Just like a person, you or I are going to read the Bible, there's going to be a bent in our life and how we see it. But there is a scientific bent or a, natu- a prophetic bent, bent that should keep the context of it. Does that make sense? This concept here that we step in and go, everyone's going to look a little bit different in how you read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. There's a scientific process to follow. There's a, a step-by-step process. Do the process. We saw it up here, this journey. Do the process. Two other terms that might be a little bit confusing are big words. One is exegesis. Turn to your neighbor and say exegesis. Exegesis. The determination and the meaning of a biblical text. Can I tell you that we as as Christians, yes, a lot of exegesis has taken place in commentaries, but can I tell you that doesn't give you a pass in your life to just go, I'm just going to swallow this. There's a responsibility on your life that you've got to step in and go, how am I going to read the Word of God and find the biblical meaning of this text? How you find the biblical meaning is what? Through the picture, through the words. The words build the picture. The words bring the meaning. The character of who it's about brings the understanding. So it's, a, it's this important aspect that the Word of God is a light unto our path. The Word of God brings life to us. It's something that is alive. But if we don't take the Word and allow it to develop in our lives, build a picture, it's not going to shape us. A word that I want to spend a little bit of time on here is eisegesis. Everyone say eisegesis. Eisegesis is what I believe that we are very vulnerable to in our culture today. Eisegesis is reading into Scripture what is not there. Eisegesis is what oftentimes you and I step into when we're reading a passage of Scripture and we read a verse and we jump to verse five, or step number five rather than going through the process because we're reading into it going, oh, that makes me feel good. This is what I think it means. Let me give you this, this go to this next slide here, the picture that's there. Right here. When people only pick out the parts of the Bible they want to hear. How many have ever been guilty of picking out the marshmallows and not the cereal? Right? We we want the sugar-flavored treat in it. We want the good thing. We want what's going to make us feel good. But the wholeness, the fullness of God's Word. And I want to remind you today that the Bible is not a buffet where we come and pick and choose. The Bible is a dining room table that's a full-course meal that as you are given it, whether you like it or not, you eat it. You eat it. The broccoli may come and you're going, ah, I don't eat broccoli. You eat it. Can I tell you that there's a (laughs) broccoli? 
Someone muzzle him, would you? <laughs> There's this process of a buffet in our lives that we, that we, we, we think we can just go pick and choose. A, a, a popular uh, statement is cherry-picking Scripture, and it's where we get uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, a powerful passage of Scripture. It means a lot more than what you think it does. But we put it on the wall. Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans that I have for you, and we put it on the wall. Can I tell you, when you get into the context of it, you see the, the depth of that passage of Scripture. It's not just a feel-good verse of Scripture. There's meaning to it that's significant. When we talk about this idea of hermeneutics, when you step into, as a theologian, there are actually seven steps of hermeneutics, and I'm not going to take you through those, but the first one is this, that they have to step into. The one that you and I need to understand is this. We understand what the author meant in order to understand what it means. For us to grasp the Word of God, for us to do the Word of God, we have to go, God, what did the author mean? What was the author writing to? What was the context that was there? A passage cannot mean today what it could not have meant then. We can, only, we can apply the principle differently, but the meaning always stays the same. That's the, what it has to come back to. That When you go, how do I apply the Word of God? I want to bring direction. I want to bring correction to some, correction to myself, that it's not just, what, let's pull a verse out of Scripture. No, what did it mean? What did it mean? And today... 2,000 years later, we're blessed because we have commentaries, we have Bible programs, we have concordances, we have Bible dictionaries. You don't have those things, start investing in them. Start looking in and go, I want to be a doer of the Word. I want to be a doer of the Word. And for us to do that, and you're going, well, Pastor Kevin, it should just be to the, I should just be able to read it. You can, but you're going to miss a lot of the nuggets. Understanding the context, who wrote it, who was it written to, why was it written, what does it mean to today's context. And the problem is this, that we live in a Western culture and the Bible was written in an Eastern culture. Surprise. How many have ever traveled to another country? Is their culture different than our culture? That's why they call it culture shock. Here we come and we read the Bible from Western eyes, from Western culture eyes, when it was actually written in an Eastern culture context. The vast majority of Christians grew up in the Western culture. I'm not talking about country Western and wearing cowboy boots. I'm talking about Western perspective. Western thinking tends to be more about facts and logic and reasoning. Isn't that what we do in America today? I want the facts. What's the logic behind this? And let me reason it out. Let's debate. Let's talk about this. What I want you to grasp in the Eastern thinking when they're writing this, they're all about symbols, they're all about pictures, and they're all about relationship. So when they would come, I'm not saying there was one way that's right and one way that's wrong, but when they would come to reason, they came to reason out of relationship, not reason out of right and wrong. How do we function in America today? Let me reason with you, but if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Correct? If you don't see the Word of God like I see the Word of God, then you must be a heretic. We have to come back to go, no, there is a right way of reasoning. There is a right ending in the story. But they would reason towards relationship, not towards right and wrong. They would reason towards how do we come to this place of, of agree, disagreeing agreeably. 
And hopefully, the truth will penetrate your life. Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes by Brandon O'Brien. If you want a good book to read, look up this book. It says, Our culture and our historical context supply us with habits of mind that lead us to read the Bible differently than Christians in other cultural and historical contexts. Some of the habits that we readers from the West bring to the Bible can blind us to interpretations that the original audience and readers in other cultures see quite naturally. Basically, what he's saying is that we, over, we, we put our culture over the top of this. It's the lens that we read through. Before we can be confident we are reading the Bible accurately, we need to understand what assumptions and values that you and I place upon it. How have we been shifted? What's our lens that we're looking through? What is our context? What's our cultural context? Do we even understand the culture that was? Some of these are social customs and race, ethnicity, language, individualism and collectivism, honor versus shame, time, uh, time in, in, in history, human relationships, virtue and vice. Simply put, Western culture is very self-focused. Eastern culture is very deity-focused and how that impacts other people's lives. So what happens? We're, you, know, you say, well, Pastor Kevin, uh, I, I want it to apply to me. Can I tell you that all Americans want it to apply to them? And it does. But can I tell you, when the, when the Eastern culture reads the Word of God, immediately it doesn't take it to them, it takes it to Him. When they look at Scripture, they immediately go, this is God and God's encounter with mankind. This is not me and my encounter with the book. For you to grasp it, you've got to step back and go, no, I want to see God in community. I want to see God in relationship. I want to see God in his deity. That's, that's the perspective that you've got to come to. Number two, seeing scripture as a window, not just a picture. What is the timeless truth behind what is God is saying? What is the timeless truth? What's the principle, the overarching principle? As I said, there's not going to be a random principle in God's word that doesn't appear anyplace else. You're not going to read a verse of scripture in Genesis and go, no, this is a principle, and it's not, and go, but I can't find it anyplace else. No, God is a God of consistency, and there are principles that you can see throughout God's word. Bruxy, Bruxy, Bruxy Cavey, I'm not sure how, that's how you pronounce it. He says, the Bible is not just a painting. So I don't want you to think I'm contradicting myself here, but the Bible is not just a painting to be looked at, but a window to be looked through. And through that window, we have the opportunity to see Jesus. We have the opportunity to look through Scripture in this picture to go, no, this is not just a picture that's stagnant. This is a, a, a window that we can actually see moving in action, that we can see Jesus as he encountered mankind and as he continues to encounter mankind. How many have ever played the game, Would You Rather?, if you know Bethany, my niece, Pastor Bethany, back in the day, one of her favorite games was Would You Rather? And I can tell you, sometimes she would just irritate the snot out of me. She's going to watch and hear this today because I said, but she, she was hilarious. It was fun. Would you rather? These are some of her, her questions that she would ask. Uh, would you rather have to swim through a lake filled with sharks or run through a forest filled with bears? And you're like going, duh, neither. And she's going, no, what would you, would you rather? Which would you do? And she's got a reasoning for all of it. Would you rather? 
Here's another one. I don't even think of this. Would you rather have telekinesis, that ability to move things with your mind, or telepathy, the ability to read people's minds? If you know Bethany, this is her line of thinking. (laughs) You know, it's like, I wouldn't even think about it, but would you rather? These far-fetched things. Would you rather give up heat heat and air conditioning for the rest of your life or give up internet for the rest of your life? Depends on where you live, right? (laughs) Next one. Would you rather get a paper cut every time you turn a page or bite your tongue every time you eat? (laughs) Don't we feel good this morning? Would you rather? You have these two choices and that's it. My question this morning, though, is this. Would you rather live in a house with no windows or no mirrors. To me, it's a pretty easy choice. I think most people would rather live in a house with windows than mirrors, right? If your house was full of mirrors, you'd get tired of looking at every angle of yourself. A house with mirrors is a life filled with being self-absorbed. A house of mirrors would be fun at a carnival, but can I tell you that really it's a prison that you would live in. You think about it today in our culture, prison cells don't have windows. This thing that's enclosed. What I love about windows is this. Windows remind us that there's a world outside of my world. Windows remind me, mirrors remind me of me, and windows remind me of something bigger than me. Windows remind us that there's real lasting joy that, can come, that, that can't come out of a world of selfies. Real joy comes from looking at something beyond us. In my life, I am all about the view. When I go on vacation, I want the view. When I go to the ocean, I want the view. When I go on a cruise, which we're going on in a little bit, I am adamant I like to spend the extra money for a balcony. Why? Because I want the view. I want to be able to see I don't want to be enclosed. And people go, well, you don't spend that much time in your room. And I'm going, when I get up in the morning, I want to open the curtains and go, ah, there it is. I'm all about the view. You may be different than I am, but can I tell you that this concept of being able to see the world through the view, seeing the sun rise, seeing the sun set, seeing the creation of God's God as you drive down the road. Can you just imagine driving in in a box without any windows? Not being able to see all that's out there. The Bible is a house with windows. What I want you to realize is that we get this opportunity that every time we open it, it has an amazing view. It has a view of absolute perfection, absolute grace, absolute beauty. The Bible is like a window that you don't, you don't come to the window for a purpose of looking at yourself. You come to the window to look out and to see something other than you. We come to the Bible primarily to see God and how God sees the world. We come to the Bible and we, see, we should step back in awe of this creator. But what oftentimes helps clouds us is we get, oftentimes we get right to the selfie perspective and we miss the nuggets of the picture And of the window. The Bible is a book for us, but it's not a book about us. 
This book is about God, God and his purposes, his relationship with mankind, his desire for mankind, his ability to forgive sin, his ability to give grace, his ability to give mercy. It's about God who did all of this for you and for me. We're recipients of a story. Michael Wilkins said this, Scripture is not only timely, but it is timeless. Just as God spoke to the original audience, so he still speaks to us through the pages of Scripture. Because we share a common humanity with the people of the Bible, we discover this universal dimension, this timeless truth in the problems that they faced and the solutions that God gave them. The, time, the timeless nature of Scripture enables it to speak with power in every time and in every culture. When we talk about a Bible worldview, we can go to a book that may have been written over 2,000 years ago, but it still speaks today. It still speaks to our lives today, and it's a window to look at life. All Scripture points to timeless truths that you and I need to build our lives on. I don't have time to go through all of them today, but I want, I'm going to give you some of these timeless truths. God is absolute sovereignty He reigns and rules over everything. It's a timeless truth that we see from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. God is always faithful. He keeps his promises. God's view of sin, that sin is devastating and there are consequences of sin. It points to this fact that there is a need to get right with God, which we would call, he calls, repentance. He shows this, uh, the outcome of repentance is restoration. God's word is filled with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. God's word points to this man towards Jesus that is the redeemer of all mankind. I can go through God's word is always truth. God's word is always right. There are principles that we have to step back to go look through the window to find the truth. What's the timeless truth that's in the story? So we look at the picture. We look through the window. And lastly, we get to the part that all of us want to know about. How does it apply to me? Everyone say me. Everyone comes with different contexts. Everyone comes with different stories. Everyone comes with different trials. PK, you just dissed on the mirror. You've been talking about how we should be too self-absorbed. What I want you to understand is that if we go right to self-absorbed, we miss the content of what it's about. If we make the Word of God about you and me, we miss the grace of God. If we make the word of God about you and me, we, we shrink the power of the word of God. If we make the word of God about you and me, we immediately step in and go, it's a self-absorbed context. So that's why it's so important that we see it as this picture to understand. We see it as a window to look at life and how does it look at, and then we can see it as a mirror that we can apply it to our lives. Before you can look at yourself correctly, you need to see through the window to see how God sees you. Can I tell you, we talk about self-image today and we want to go to the gym and do this or we want to go get a face makeover or whatever it is and we begin to look at our selfies to make ourselves feel good so we can see about ourselves. The greatest thing that you as a believer needs to do is step back to the word of God and go, God, what do you say about me? Not a culture that's changing, but a God who is unchanging. The God who designed you and created you. God, what do you see? We need to be able to see the world correctly through how he sees the world. If we are looking at the world through our eyes, it's dysfunctional and broken. Through his eyes, it's dysfunctional and broken, but he's got a plan and a purpose. There is a hope. When we see the picture, it leads us to a window, and that window leads us to a mirror. 
We can see the characters in the stories and their relationship to God, and we can step back and go, no, there's a purpose in this story, and therefore we can see through the window that there's this purpose of God in the middle of everything. Can I tell you this? If you could shift your perspective today in your circumstance to realize that, this is not, that life is not being done to you, but God has a purpose in what is being done. That's why Paul can write in Romans that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Because Paul's not looking at it going, oh, they're, this is, they're doing this to me. I'm the victim of. No, this is the process of life, and there's a purpose in this process. Many times we have a problem with the mirrors, though, do we not? We have this hypercritical eye that we look at and go, man, you're fat. Man, you're old. What happened to you? Man, when did you get so good looking? Or when did you get so ugly? I mean, right? Hypercritical eye. Anybody ever been guilty of a hypercritical eye? And then we have the hyper-forgiving eye. Man, you are the epitome of humanity. You are the most handsome thing walking on the face of the planet. You are, hey, is that about me or about you? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right? But don't, do we not err to the hypercritical or the hyper-forgiving that we come in? And can I tell you really what God, God wants us to do is come to the reality of who we are. Because if we're perfect, we don't need Jesus. So when you look in the mirror, it's all right to go, I'm not perfect. When you look in the mirror, it's all right to go, failed again. I need to work on being forgiving. I need to stop being angry. But then you look in the mirror and you go, I'm a child of God. I look in the mirror and I go, I'm forgiven. I look in the mirror and go, God, you love me for who I am. God, you designed me. Can I tell you this importance that not coming with a hypercritical, oh, ick, or oh, wow. But the reality, because can I tell you, God sees you with the reality and God loves you just the same. He sees your flaws and he sees your successes and he goes, I designed you, I created you. He sings over you with joy. He celebrates you. Paul talks on putting on the old, taking off this old life and putting on the new life and that's what scripture is all about. Peter writes in 2 Peter, says his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. You're struggling living a godly life today. You're going, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know how to do this. I'm a failure. God says, I've given you the power to do so. So therefore, there's something supernatural that's there. And the way you're going to do it is through the word of God. His divine purposes are going to come out in your life. coming back to James chapter 1 you know but you do not do have you ever had those people that you're telling them giving them instruction they're going I know I know I know I know and they still don't do it anybody and if some of you work with you're going you know I've told you this before da 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 I I know I, I know and they start to get offended that they're telling you like I know would you just shut up leave me alone And you want to go, no, just do it then, right? 
Can I tell you that oftentimes we come to the Word of God going, God, I know, I know, I know, I know, already I know. And God's going, Kevin, when are you going to start doing it then? When are you going to start doing it? And I'm like, going, well, God, you know, I just need your supernatural grace to help me. And he's going, no, there's this thing, Kevin, called self-discipline. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Kevin, are you filled with the Spirit? Kevin, are you going to apply that to your life? Or are you going to say no to ungodliness and say yes to godliness? Are you going to say no to what you know is wrong? Or are you going to keep on doing that? That's what Romans is all about. If you're wanting to understand it, you go read the book of Romans and it's going, how much longer am I going to allow the sinful nature to rule my life? There's a battle that's warring. Which one are you, which one's going to win? The one that you feed? The one that you entertain? The one that you keep saying yes to? James comes back. He says, do not merely listen to the word of God. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word of God and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many looked in the mirror this morning? If you didn't, you should have. No, just kidding. (laughs) You look in the mirror. Why do you look in the mirror? To shave, to put your makeup on, to do whatever it is, to fix your hair. It takes me a lot to fix my hair. Josh and I are in the same boat. No, this process, we look in the mirror to go, am I presentable? Do I look all right? Goes on and looks, uh, verse 24, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but I want you to see this. This is where we're going to settle today as I end. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Turn to your neighbor and say, be a doer, not a donter. Those of you that are out there in the grammar, you're going, Pastor Kevin, you're not grammatically correct. Be a doer, not a donter. Can I tell you that that applies in so many areas of our lives? Be a doer, not a donter. Be a doer when it comes to the Word of God, not a donter that says, no, I can't. How do we do it? Real quickly, verse 25 gives us three very practical things. Number one, we need to read it. Everyone say, read it. We need to look at it intently. How do we look at it intently? We go back to go, okay, what did it mean? We look at the picture and we study the picture. We look through the window and we see what life is through the window. And then we go, okay, God, I need it. How, what is that? What's that principle look like in my life? We need to read it. We need to look intently at the perfect law. We need to gaze into the mirror of his word. Can I tell you that oftentimes we fail because we don't gaze? We would, we would mock someone that just stands in front of the mirror gazing at themselves going, oh, wow, you are so amazing. Right? But can I tell you, Paul, or James here is writing, he's saying, I want, you need to gaze into the Word of God. Not gaze into the Word of God to go, oh, look how wonderful you are, but look, gaze at the quality of who God is and who He designed and what He created. We don't only read it, we are to review it. James 1.25, it says, those who continue in it. So it's not that you're just going to read it today and forget about it for seven days or read it today and forget about it for the next month. 
No, you continue in it. You continue in it day after day after day. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples. Psalms 119 says, have I, how I love your teachings. I think about them all day long. Are you in it? Is it part of your life? Does it shape how you think, how you talk? Is it there at, the, at, the, at a notice when a circumstance happens? That What's the first thing that comes to your mind? How are you going to dig yourself out of a crisis or how God's going to dig you out of a crisis? When you have a crisis, is the first person you want to call is God or is it somebody else? Do you find more comfort in talking to a person than it is God's Word? Read it and review it. Lastly, we have to remember it. James 1.25, it says, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. I think part of our problem today in our culture, what God's been speaking to my heart about even, is coming back to the process of memorization and meditation. A practice that is touted throughout the book over and over and over again, but I believe whether laziness or because of technology, we have it with us always, and we just don't know where even to go look. You can't do the Word if you don't know the Word. You can't do the Word if you don't know what to turn to to practice it. Psalms 119, he says, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God says, I want you to be a doer of this word. Can I tell you, there is nothing, nothing on this planet that calms my heart, calms my mind, calms my spirit than meditating on the word of God. When I got a crisis, I may not be, it may not be the first thing I go to, but I'm telling you, it's pretty close. I've learned a process, whether it's good or bad, whether it says something about God's Word or that I'm bored with it or whatever, but I, I fall asleep quoting a verse of Scripture. I, I fall asleep meditating on Scripture. I don't know if that's like, God, you're boring, I'm falling asleep on you, but can I tell you, there is such a peace and a settling as I just begin to think about the phrases of a verse. Not thinking about that verse and me, but thinking about that verse and Him. It changes a perspective. It makes it bigger than you. So we must read it. We must review it. We must remember it. Grab your Bibles with me this morning. Let's say this statement again, would you today? Hold on to it close to your heart. This is my Bible. Come on. This is my Bible. It is God's word to me. I am what it says that I am. I have what it says that I can have. I can do what it says that I can do. And today I will receive the Word of God. I will boldly confess the Word of God. My mind will be alert. My heart will be receptive. And I'll never be the same. Can I tell you, church, this is a statement that you should pull out every time right before you step into the Word of God. This book is filled with life. It won't do it for you. You have to wield it. But it is supernatural and it is alive. Read it. 
Read it. Read it. Review it. Review it. Remember it. Remember it. Step into it in such a way. Step back and go, I love the picture of this book. I love the characters that I get to see. And as I see those characters, man, I can see the world around me through this window of life. Man, now I'm going to look at this book and it's going to show me some stuff that I don't like. Can I tell you, I love the view of Scripture, but when it comes to the mirror, it's painful at times. But it's also very encouraging at times, right? It's painful because we can see ourselves, but it's filled with encouragement because we see Him. Right? Heavenly Father, today I thank you. I thank you for this series. I thank you for this book. I thank you for these people. I thank you that you are a God that wants to walk in relationship to humanity. God, and even more personally, you're a God that wants to walk in relationship with me. Would you say that? You want to walk in relationship with me. God, you are a personal God. And we thank you that this book is written to us personally as well. God, would you give us eyes, supernatural eyes, to see the picture? God, as we pick up the Bible the next time we pick it up, God, would you just open our eyes to see the picture of what's going on? Give us a desire to study it. Give us a desire to jump into it. God, as we look through this window, God, help us to see the world in clarity, not through our self-absorbed eyes, but through your eyes, through through the lens of your word. And God, I pray that as we step into the mirror, God, help us to see ourselves just as we are, but also as you see us. Because God, you look at us and you see our humanity You see our brokenness, but you also see our purpose. God, today I pray, let there be no condemnation to any person in this room. But God, I pray, would you give great holy desire for your word? Holy desire to know it, to read it, but not just to know and to read it, but to apply it, to apply it to our lives. And God, we thank you for it today. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, we've got two amazing prayer warriors that would love to do so. They'd love to partner with your faith in your journey. And we see God do things all the time. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Make sure you sign up for all that's coming around the corner. There's a lot of events. Have a great day. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.